Okay, so we are now doing the portion for Thursday of Parshas Kisavo. And in this portion, we are basically discussing a certain event that is going to happen after the Jews enter Israel, meaning we are almost towards the end of the five books of Torah. We're toward the end of the fifth book. And the books conclude with the Jews still in the desert with the passing of Moses of Moshe. But afterwards, Moses is already telling them now what they will need to do, a certain ceremonial event that's going to happen once they enter Israel. So we begin by explaining, verse 11, that Moses commanded the people on that day, saying, these shall stand to bless the people on the mountain of Gerizim, when you cross the Jordan, the Jordan, and then we list six of the tribes, Shimon, Levi, Yudi, Sachar, Yosef, and Yemen. And the next verse, these shall stand for the curse on the mountain of Avel. Again, six tribes, Reuven, Gad, Asher, Zulun, Dan, Naftali. And the next verse, and the Levian shall speak up and say to every man of Israel in a loud voice. So what's happening, I just read a few extra verses to understand, is we're taking the Jewish people, this is a ceremonial acceptance of God's Torah with blessings and curses. Six of the tribes were on the mountain toward which we turned with the blessings, the mountain of Gerizim. Six of the tribes are on the mountain that we turn with with curses, the mountain of Elo. In the middle are all the priests, the Levian, the Levites, and the Kohanim, the priests. And they turn to each side of the mountain, to the one of the blessings and the one of the curses. And this is all explained to you. This is the Rashi in verse 12 that's explaining this idea. So they, in the middle, are the priests, the Kohanim, the Levim, the Levites, and the God's Ark. And they turn to the mountain of the blessings, mountain of Gerizim. And they say, blessing, blessed is the man who will not make a graven or molten image. And everyone, meaning the Jews on both mountains, say, amen. They accept it upon themselves. Then these same people, all the priests, the Kohanim, the Levites, the Aaron, turns to the mountain of Abel, where the curses are. And they say the exact same phrase in a curse. Cursed is the man who will make a graven image. And then everyone on both mountains have to say, Amen. And this is how we did it. We have 11 blessings and curses here. Again, it's each blessing is the inverse of the curse. And again, you could say, I'd rather be on the mountain that received the blessing. But the point is, that all the Jews said Amen to all the blessings and to all the curses. So now we're up to verse 15 where we start listing this. Now we're listing it in cursed is. But again, remember, before the priests, the Kohanim and the Levites said it as cursed, they said the same thing as blessed. So the first verse of the 11 verses, a cursed is a man who will make a graven or molten image, being an idol, an abomination of God, a craftsman's handiwork, and a place in secret. And the entire people say, Amen. The next verse. Cursed is the one who degrades his father or mother. And the entire people say, Amen. So Rashi here, the word in Hebrew is makla, which Rashi is pulling out the etymology of cow, like light, to not treat respectfully. It's interesting here, the previous curse was about idolatry, and the second one is about not appropriately treating your parents. The next verse, curse is one who moves back the boundary of his fellow 
and all the people say, Amen. What do we mean by move back the boundary of his fellows? So Rashi explains if you had two people that were farmers, and there is a fence between them. And the first farmer moves the fence backwards. What he's doing, de facto, is stealing the land of the other farmer. And this is the concept of, in general, stepping on someone's property, which means it doesn't only mean literally two farmers with land. It could mean this town can only support one shoemaker. And you open up a second shoemaking stall while you're stepping on this guy's land. The only place I should just say there's no issue of stepping on someone else's land is in educational institutions. The more, the better. Competition should produce better schools. The next verse, cursed is the one who caused a blind person to go astray on the road. And everyone says, amen. What does that mean? Curse a blind person. How often do you find blind people walking on the road? What are we talking about here? So Rashi explains, it means someone who's blind, metaphorically, in a certain matter, and you give him bad advice. This is causing the blind person to stumble. Curse is the one who perverts the judgment of a convert, an orphan, or a widow. These are all people that don't have people to really stand up for them. And everyone says, amen. Curse is the one who lies with the wife of his father. He's uncovered the robe of his father. And everyone says, amen. Curse is the one who lies with an animal. And everyone says, amen. Curse is the one who lies with his sister, the daughter of his father, the daughter of his mother. And the whole nation says, Amen. Curse is the one who lives with his mother-in-law. And the whole nation says, Amen. Curse is the one who strikes his fellow man in secret. And everyone says, Amen. Now what does it mean to hit someone in secret? Like, like, how do you hit someone in secret? Like, nobody's watching. You sneak up on him and then you run away before he catches you. What are we doing here? So Rashi says it means gossip. If someone gossips about another person, if someone is transgressing the crime, the sin of Lashon Hara, this is striking someone in secret. Which is a very, very, very strong point. In other words, if we really are thinking, again, Rashi is only explaining the literal meaning, but if we really think this is about hitting someone, you know, hit someone in secret or in public. So why is the verse emphasizing you're hitting them in secret? secret. Well, this is malicious talk, because malicious talk is generally done privately. Also, you could say this blow of malicious talk is in secret, because it's the only time you get hit and you don't even feel it. I mean, you probably will feel it afterwards as more and more people talk and the repercussions come back to you. But if it's only, you know, however many people and you never hear about it, they're, they're striking you and you don't even know it. The next verse, cursed is one who takes a bribe to kill an innocent person. And everyone says, Amen. Cursed is one who will not uphold the words of the Torah to perform them. And everyone says, Amen. So on the previous Rashi, I cut it off short, Rashi enumerates, as I said before, there are 11 curses here, meaning 11 blessings that are not written, and the converse of which is these 11 curses. Now, why are there 11? Because it was, each one was corresponding to a certain tribe. Now, of course, there are 12 tribes on the mountains. The priestly tribe, the Kohanim and the Levites, they're the ones saying it. But everyone else, there's six and six tribes, so there's 12 tribes. So we have only 11 curses, 11 curses, 11 blessings. There's a, a tribe that's not receiving a curse. 
And Rashi says that's the tribe of Shimon. Why did Moses not create a curse for the tribe of Shimon? Because Moses knew that ultimately, very soon, this is the end of Devar, very soon Moses is going to bless each one of the tribes. And Moses knew he didn't have in his heart to bless him. He implied a blessing for him within the blessing of his brother Judah, Yehuda. He didn't give Shimon directly a blessing because Shimon had just messed up the Jewish people so bitterly with that whole plot of Bilaam with the women that brought the men to commit adultery and idolatry, and the primary culprits here, the ones that were involved in the sin, were from the tribe of Shimon. So this was such a painful thing that just happened. Moses knew, I don't have in my heart to bless him. I'm not doing it lip service. If you have my heart to bless him, I can't give him a curse. So the final verse was, a curse is anyone who doesn't uphold the words of this Torah. So that's a very general statement. All the others are very specific issues. So this general statement is really including the entire Torah. And the Jews are accepting upon themselves with a curse and with an oath the entire Torah. And that's the end of that chapter. The next chapter begins, what we have today is a few verses of blessings. We'll continue a little bit more tomorrow. And then we have many, 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 many curses. There are 98 curses that we are going to have to read on Friday. But today we just start with the good. We start with the blessings. So it should be, if you listen to the voice of God to keep and perform all of his commandments that I command you this day, then God will make you supreme over the nations of the earth. Next verse, all the blessings will come to you and overtake you if you listen to the voice of God. This is nice. Next verse, blessed shall you be in the city, blessed shall you be in the field. Next verse, blessed shall be the fruits of your womb and the fruits of your ground and the fruits of your animals, the offsprings of your cattle, the herds of your flock. Now, when we're talking about this term here of the offsprings of cattle and the herds of the flock, so Rashi first explains on the term shkar alafecha, the offsprings of your cattle, sort of an unusual term, shkar means to like send forth, that the animal sends forth from its inside the, these baby animals, the calves. And then we have for the flocks, it says astrosonecha. So the question is, what does astros mean? So astros, were loosely, so Rashi says, Rashi actually gives here three explanations on astros. One is herds. Okay, herds of flocks. That's the literal translation or the most simple translation as Uncleus translates it. Our rabbis say, well, why are we calling these herds astros? Because astros is like the word ashir, same sounding word, same etymology, because these animals are going to make you rich, ashir. They make rich their owners. And another explanation here, we're now we're giving a third explanation on this. Astros is the word for a cliff hard, strong rocks, because these animals, these herds, are making strong, like making wealthy, they're giving strength to the owners. Next verse, last, sorry, second to last verse. Blessed shall be your basket and your kneading bowl. So Rashi says basket, if we envision a basket, well, Rashi gives two explanations. Either the basket, the basket's holding the fruits, 
Well, a basket actually means something liquidous like wine or oil that you're going to sieve, you're going to strain through the basket. If I think of baskets as something liquidous like a wine or oil that I'm going to sieve in my basket to make it pure, my kneading bowl then is conversely something dry like fruits that's not going to flow through the cracks. In other words, a basket, a woven basket, if you can envision a woven basket, things can sieve through it. So specifically, I'm going to use that sieving method for the wines and the oils and things I want to be sieved and very, very pure and clean. And then my kneading bowl is my bowl for things that are not supposed to be sieved, like fruits. If, conversely, you're following the explanation, the first explanation of Rashi, that the basket is referring to your basket of fruits, then your kneading bowl means very simply a kneading bowl, what you keep your dough in. So again, if the basket means the basket I hold my fruits in, the kneading bowl means the kneading bowl I hold my dough in. If the basket means what I strain my liquids through, like my wines and my oils, then the basket means that which holds my dry items, like my fruits. And the last verse, blessed are you in your coming, and blessed shall you be in your going. So Rashi says you're coming and you're going. You came, you're coming, you came into the world clean, free of sin. You should be as blessed in your leaving this world as if you're coming into the world because you should be as free of sin. Now, why Rashi, who is a, someone coming to explain the literal meaning of the verse, why is he giving us such an allegorical explanation? Because if you think of the words, blessed are you in your coming and in your going. Well, that doesn't really make sense because I start off at home. So I should be blessed in my going, my leaving my home to work, to my farm, to my office. And I should be just as blessed in returning back home. So it should say, in my leaving and my return, my coming back. But the verse said the opposite. You're coming in and then you're leaving. So coming in and leaving can't be talking about me in my travels. So what's it talking about? It's talking about me and my traveling into this world. So I came into this world blessed, free of sin, and I should leave in an equally blessed state, equally sin-free existence.